0: This is I'd Rather Be Right, a podcast about big ideas and better predictions. And dick jokes. Which is why this isn't financial, legal, or even dating advice. We might be rich,
1: successful, and good-looking, but Mark Cuban hates us. So prepare to enjoy the best podcast that only awesome, charming, and attractive people like you listen to.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast with Luke and Nate. It is, uh, what, September 8th, Wednesday at 4.09 p.m. here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I think Nate is on the trail, the Oregon Trail. He was on a road trip last week. He's somewhere north of California way. Nate,
1: how's it going? It's going well, and that's exactly where I am. Oh, yeah. I'm on the Oregon Trail. I'm, I'm in a little uh buggy horse and buggy it's great uh, I'll, I'll be okay though luckily <laughs> i still have access to the internet so here i am <laughs> how,
0: how, how is everyone dealing with the dysent- dysentery making it oh
1: <laughs> well, we haven't died yet but uh yeah you know, we're trying not to
0: so. that's good where did you go i don't remember
1: no um actually i went to uh marks's vineyard and then oh, uh no. in New bedford's uh, uh which is just outside and um uh uh, just off of New Bedford or Cape basically. So yeah, yeah. fancy.
0: He lives a yep. very fancy life. Everybody.
1: <laughs> yep,
0: uh, I do. <laughs> Did you have some wine or what?
1: Uh, it's actually, you know, there's actually no vineyard on Martha's Vineyard. Uh, really? Yeah, it's it's named a vineyard because the guy who discovered it said he, uh, you know, by the way. The white person that discovered, because there were Native Americans there yeah. beforehand, uh, the white person discovered it, oh, it. was said to have found grapes, and so he he thought it was he called it the vineyard. Uh, but it never they had, he never I think he brewed beer, but he didn't actually make any any wine. Interestingly enough, so there you go. That's wild. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's no vineyard on Martha's Vineyard, and I think it's a great branding opportunity to be the first vineyard on Martha's yeah. Vineyard. I'm shocked <laughs> that there isn't. Wow. You think someone will just do it just to be the you vineyard. On Morris, Morris yeah, vineyard. maybe the ground isn't good. Or, you know, is it, is yeah, it, yeah, It's probably not the best climate for uh, grapes, to be honest. Yeah, it might be yeah. really expensive, too. I don't know. I just know
0: that's where fancy people go for some reason. I thought it was blind, but now I don't know why people go there.
1: Yeah, it is It is uh, where fancy people go, at least around now. Well, first of all, New England is beautiful in the summer, so there's mm-hmm. that. And then the island kind of results from, like, Keeping the raff off, I think, is a general rule. And you can get, like, on the southern parts of it, like, there's lots of open area that you can buy a house and stuff like that, a big estate. So, oh, yeah, Obama wow. has his compound there. I think the Clintons have one, too. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That's what I thought.
0: That's what I thought. That's where Obama's
1: most story. recent birthday party, they had it this year. Uh, yeah. That's where it was. So, yeah.
0: Because I heard that, I don't know, is it everyone, like Trump had a spot out there and now everyone hates him and, like, they can't even go on vacation
1: there anymore. That's what I thought. Did Trump have one there? Uh, I don't know, uh, I, heard, I, heard, I thought I heard something, but... I don't, I don't know if he had one there. Uh, I'm, out right in
0: the, I'm out in the Southwest, so we don't know what you rich East Coast people do.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But it, uh, I, I actually don't know if Trump has one there. But yeah, a lot of people do. A lot of rich, a lot of rich people do. There might have
0: been some other rich
1: boy or person. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think maybe... Um, oh, you know who might have been... Um, uh wasn't it uh what was his name the the harvard law professor that defended trump uh um, Dershowitz. alan, Dershowitz, yeah, alan Dershowitz. there we go yeah, I, the I think he was the one who had uh Martha's vineyard compound yeah i think that's right yeah okay yeah that's it and my
0: camera's being really weird does it look like it is my camera looking weird to you
1: <laughs> it is but it's okay no? good news is most people are going to listen to this on audio so i think it'll be okay yeah. That's pretty wild.
0: All right. So, anyways, what are we talking about today, Nathan?
1: Uh, today we are doing the Bitcoin for beginners. We are going to jump back for a minute because we talk about Bitcoin on this podcast a lot, and I really want to walk through uh, Bitcoin as if some as if you knew nothing um, and start it from where I believe people should start learning it from. Uh, this is partly because we have you know newer people to the podcast, uh, who we hope would have new people in the future, and I think it would be very useful. To have this background especially how much we talk about bitcoin in addition i just like the idea of having this uh episode that i can share with people who really want to understand it because i get questions about bitcoin uh about once a week from someone new um c- pretty consistently so it seems like a good idea just to do a whole episode on nothing but bitcoin and we're going to walk through a lot of the basics think of it as a uh auditory faq with a long summary monologue in the beginning as we talk about what bitcoin is but Let's yeah, With that being said, I think the first part to start with is what is, in fact, Bitcoin? Like, what is it? Um, so the best way to understand Bitcoin, in my opinion, is that Bitcoin is money. It's, it is money. You could call it a commodity-based money, like gold, perhaps like salt used to be. But it is money. And if you understand Bitcoin as money, it becomes a lot easier to understand everything about Bitcoin. The longer you take to understand that Bitcoin is money, the longer it is for you to understand bitcoin as a whole and weirdly enough i went through this thing in 2017 where i was trying to understand it i owned a little bit but i really didn't understand what bitcoin was um and and it wasn't until i really understood that bitcoin was money that my understanding of bitcoin really took off and on why it was so much better than all of the other cryptocurrencies out there so i think it starts with the fact that bitcoin is money but that gets it to a bunch of fundamental questions that I think you and I have had and we've answered a few times on the podcast about our understanding of money. And I think the average person couldn't even tell you what money is outside of the fact that it's something they use to go to the store and buy things. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's make some definitions first. Uh, First, there's fiat money. Fiat money is uh money issued by the government that's not backed by a commodity so it's not gold backed. it's not anything there's currently the u.s dollar and pretty much every currency in the united States, like like sorry in the world the globe right now is fiat money there's it's not actually backed by anything they actually float against each other and you can go out in the open market and buy gold if you want but it's not backed by gold you can't go into uh the u.s government and demand gold from them they won't give it to you um it is backed by the full faith and credit of the United States. All that really means is that you trust that it's worth more. Like that, that, that they won't devalue the paper currency. So um, that's fiat money, and that's important to understand. I think the other word we need to define right now is monetization, because I'm going to use it a few times uh, or various uses of it. And monetization is basically the process in which something becomes uh, money, uh, understood as money, as a group by everyone uh, or by more and more people. Um, so I would say that Bitcoin is going through the monetization process right now. Some of us like me and Luke, we understand it as money. There's other people that understand it as money. Um, but there's a lot of people that don't understand it as money. And so the process of people understanding this, this item as money is, is a monetization process. I think it's important to understand that because a lot of our questions about Bitcoin, such as, you know, are we afraid of volatility and stuff have to do with the fact that it's monetizing. I assume that all makes sense. Assume, uh, Luke. If you have anything to add, feel free to I mean, jump in.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, it makes sense to me, but this isn't for.
1: This isn't for you. Well, if you have anything to add, feel free to jump in. For sure. um, so the next question is like, well, okay. Beyond that, what is money generally? Um, it, it's, it seems to be a tool that is an emergent emergent human phenomenon. It's emerged multiple times, like you know back. When since we like we were uh, when we were evolving, and it seemed to evolve um, to evolve into a tool to solve a few different problems. Uh, but what are the problems that it solves? This actually relates to the three properties uh, of money, uh, the three ways that money is really used. And and the first is to store of value. So um, the first way of money is used is the idea is that if if I get a dollar, I can trust that the dollar will hold value down the long term, and I can exchange it for something of rel of this. Say say one worth. I don't know one candy bar. I can trust that in a year, I can still buy a one candy bar. This is actually important when you think of. Uh, I think a good example is farming. In farming, you have you know you have your planting season, you have your harvesting season, and then you go to the market and you get all your profit. Uh, if money didn't hold its value, the time you got your profit, you have to buy all your goods for the whole year right then and pay maybe your mortgage at the same time, right? Like everything would have to be paid. But the idea that you can put it in a bank and trust that um, the money that you pull out later will still have value. It means that you don't have to buy all your goods, all your uh, groceries, uh, pay all your rent or your mortgage at one time, right? So that's that's kind of the thing. It allows us to do certain things that were profit. And uh, so basically our revenue and our liabilities don't necessarily line up uh, in exactly the same time. Without that, we have a real problem um, with holding our value. So basically our work today If we work extra think of work weekend you would never have a weekend uh you would never have vacation because you'd be working all the time because all your work would be immediately worthless after that right it would only be for that time so we so it's the idea that it can it can allow you periods of not working uh or not profiting uh so that's one of the store value again then the next one is medium exchange i think this is the most Widely understood use of money that's walking to a grocery store and buying groceries. Uh, it, it's the idea that you exchange money for a good or a service. Um, and, and what problem does this solve? It solves basically the barter problem. If I make, um, I don't know, let's assume I raise cows and uh, dairy cows. So I produce milk. If I produce milk, then what if I want to buy hay? But the person who sells hay doesn't need milk or doesn't drink milk how do i get the hay i have to find someone who drinks the milk who can give something the hay wants and i just it right and and this problem gets exponentially more crazy as we get more and more specialized so it's a practical matter without it you can't specialize at all and you will probably be raising a general farm and doing a little bit of everything because you'll need to have a little of everything so you have something on hand that someone else might want um that you can exchange for if you need to and then otherwise, if you can't find anything, you can survive until you have something that they want uh, or come into contact with someone who knows someone who knows what they want. Right. Or someone who knows someone who knows someone. So all of that goes away uh, when you have a medium of exchange, you can just use that item, that money to exchange and and, and um, for the good or service. That's one of the uh, uh, way that money is used. The other one is unit of count. Um and this is basically used as a measuring stick. Uh, the way I think of it is how do you compare how much of a house is worth to how much of a car to how much rice, to a cow, uh, to whatever else, um, uh, the gar- uh, anything you buy at your garden store, right? It, it, you measure it by how much it costs in dollars, uh, effectively, right? Or how much it costs in money. So that's the unit of account. The fact that we know the price of a plane ticket in dollars to, to how much it's relative to how much of a car, and even among different cars, Lamborghinis to, you know, Civics are very different. Um, that is the unit of account. Uh, and those are the few ways that money is used. That seems to be what the why we have it. That's why we, uh, humans have developed this as a tool to solve all those problems. Mm-hmm. And what it really allows for is human specialization so that I can focus on one thing and do it very, very well uh, and trust that I can still survive in a world where I only do that one thing. So in my case, I'm a tax attorney. I can focus on being a tax attorney. I don't have to learn how to be a farmer uh, in addition to um, a a mechanic, in addition to anything else. You know what I mean? Like I I can can do one thing and do it very, very well. Uh, And this... As a process allows for all of the things that really make life enjoyable like i mean art um i mean art can't exist without unit of account medium exchange to our value like we wouldn't have art we wouldn't have really funky architecture um we would have a pretty boring life in a lot of ways you certainly wouldn't have a, a G- game of thrones or anything like that like all that would go away if we didn't have the tool money um, so all the things that you enjoy, are really, really exist because we have money.
0: Because you couldn't specialize, not because we couldn't pay for.
1: Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Because we couldn't specialize. You know, a person like Aaron Sorkin, who's writing, you know, who used to write The West Wing and whatever else. You, you know, I, I particularly love a lot of his work. Uh, he wouldn't be able to be uh, Aaron Sorkin, like he couldn't write all those plays. So, you know, William Shakespeare wouldn't exist without money, because um, he, he would have had to do. He had to go out and learn how to farm instead he can write his plays and, and be, be a genius right so these kind of genius people and that's actually includes scientific genius like einstein can't be einstein without money <laughs> like like, like eh, eh. and we there are probably people that are equally smart as einstein who just didn't live in a place with money uh or, or money that was use uh was actually useful um and therefore, like, you know, if you're living in a hyperflating place, you're worried about how to make the next meal. You're certainly not going to be worried about E equals MC squared. Right. You know what I mean? These are not things you can think about if you have to make the basic sustenance level uh, of survival. And, and, and the benefit of this is it allows us to, to thrive and thrive all by focusing on whatever we want to do. So uh, money really is this really foundational tool to the to human existence. I assume all that makes sense. <laughs> Lucas is going to nod because Luke is listening to me monologue here. Um, okay, um, so how does this relate to Bitcoin? Well, Bitcoin because Bitcoin is not really used on all three of these uh, three of these ways. In very rare cases, it's used as a unit of account. Um, it's much more often used as a store of value or right now, recently, a medium of exchange with the Lightning Network. Uh, that's And down in El Salvador, use those ways. But even there, the prices are really set in USD and the Bitcoin price changes based on the price of Bitcoin. Um, so why is this? I think it's because it is going through the monetization process, as we talked about. And I would say Bitcoiners tend to believe that have to go in that order store value medium of exchange and then unit of account is the last one uh, and and the reason why is because it basically requires more and more people for that um store value like i need enough people to trust that i can i can sell it later for value if i need to uh, that means enough people are involved in the network the medium exchange means that i can trust like can walk into stores and they'll accept it um, and that means even more people are involved in, the, in owning Bitcoin or transacting in Bitcoin. And then unit of account is like, uh, so many of us have accepted it that we can all agree to price our goods on that. And it also, at that level, reduces the volatility a lot. Should anyway, we think. Uh, this is a relatively new experiment. I don't think we've ever watched monetization of, uh, a, of a global currency in real time. So what we're seeing is very, very unique and there's a lot of theories around it, but that's our best guess. Uh, I would say I agree with that theory, uh, but we'll see how it plays out <laughs> uh, precisely because we just never really seen this before. Um, certainly a monetization of a currency within like a one lifespan is just entirely new. Um, keep in mind, like the United us government, like currency wasn't monetized. Like in, in, in like this way, it was originally you know go, uh, they used gold. They had um, gold backed for a while, and they went off the current uh, gold back in 1971. So like it wasn't like it emerged and like or the government just started issuing it and we all started re- respecting it. It was that we already respected it. They held gold, um, and then then eventually they actually had a soft default in 1971, an implicit default, as it were. And when they re- when they stopped redeeming gold, for the record, they only redeemed gold to other Countries, but they closed. They say they did what's called closing the gold window, and basically didn't allow any other countries to come and redeem their gold. So, um, so that was pretty crazy, and that means that that's why the fiat currencies have never ever emerged on their own. Um, They've already been like they were already backed by something, and then it went to fiat, uh, generally because. The country had been spending too much, um, and they had to find a way to de- effectively devalue the currency uh, to survive. Uh, and so it's not it's the first. This, this is not the first time, you know, nineteen seventy one is not the first time uh, this happened. Rome had the same problem, so it's it's pretty common, and it has led to downfalls of uh, of of uh, uh, societies, of societies, or, or large governments. So it's important that that's kind of where we're at. Okay,
0: Southern China, I think. That was the yeah. first they had quote unquote paper money and then they started lending out they started uh, writing paper money for gold that they didn't have and that was and then that and then we've just yep. been doing that ever since Yep, <laughs> like gold isn't necessarily special but when you just start writing paper not backed by anything
1: yeah so this is not unheard of um, and that's potentially where we are certainly that's where I think we are I think Luke probably mostly thinks that's where we are too Yeah, it's actually
0: very <laughs> well understood but no one seems to, 99% of people don't seem to understand that. They're not like they don't, no one studies money. They don't study history, so they don't know that.
1: Yeah. So that's where we're at. But okay, that's useful. If Bitcoin can't be used in these three ways, specifically the ways we just talked about, which were, again, store value, medium of exchange, and unit of account. Oh, by the way, I think it is accurately used as a store of value right now. That's certainly the way I'm using it, or at mm-hmm. least over a long term what I mean by that is like, I have trouble believing it might be worth more in six months, but I don't have any problem believing it'll be worth more in four years. Um, and that's historically always been true for the entire uh, um, history of Bitcoin. So I think it is actually being used as store of value. I'm just not using it. I'm certainly not using it as a medium of exchange or a unit of account really. So, um, so that's. So, but if it's not being used, how do we look at it like how can we say it's money if it's not being used as money yet uh, i think that's when you just have to look at the properties that make have made for good money in the past um and and compare them to bitcoin so the first one is uniformity um the idea is that uh one one bitcoin is equal to like looks like is basically the same as one bitcoin right this is unlike seashells uh where um each shell, which at one point was used as money, were, were different sized, uh, different colors, different variations. Like that's, that's not. A, a, you want uniformity for money. Um, it's uh, this much closer to salt, which was used as money at one point. You know, one one grain of salt similar to one grain of salt. Uh, uh, another grain of salt. Uh, there's probably are some variations as we know from Himalayan rock salt and other stuff. But basically, one was equal to the other one. Uh, certainly, this is true of gold. You can have a uniformity of, of, of gold. No, use um, blocks, like, yeah. Use so, yeah. Uh, and certainly uh, applies to dollars, dollars, one dollar is equal to one dollar. So that so that's one. Uh, and we we have it with Bitcoin. Uh, the other thing, it's it's infinitely divisible. Uh, so divisibility of, a, uh, of money is very important. Uh, this is why you don't use Picassos as money. <laughs> um you, they might be rare. They may have a lot of th- properties that money have. They're rare, um, um, but they wouldn't. You, you can't divide it up into things. However, you can divide a $1 dollar into 100 pennies. Um, uh, we can do. You know, uh, gold can be divided into smaller and smaller um, uh, molecules, like, uh, like smaller and smaller uh, bits, if you really want to. Uh, true grains of salt. Um, and in our case, for Bitcoin, the protocol allows for uh, divisibility up to one sat, which is point zero it's basically seven zeros and then one at the end um um, and that's a a sat but we can update the protocol at any given time if we really want to divide it even further uh without debasing anyone's holdings so we can all just agree that we need to divide it even more and add more you know more zeros on beyond the decimal place and divide it out further so the fact that it's infinitely divisible when i think infinitely is that we can update the protocol if we had to but it's also very very divisible now um it's very important for money um the other thing is it can't be counterfeited uh it's you can't create your own fake bitcoin you know you've had counterfeit gold you've had counterfeit dollars uh that can't be done with bitcoin uh you can't go out and make your own you can hard fork it if you want but it won't be treated as bitcoin we saw that with bitcoin cash so you can't make your fake bitcoin um Another one is it, it can be verified if you run your full node, which only cost a few hundred bucks in parts, um, and then uh, and then about the price of running a coffee maker for a year um, in electricity. So it's very cheap to verify your own transactions uh, and verify that the goal that your Bitcoin receiving is real. Uh, this is not true with gold. Gold is very cost prohibitive to prove that it's actually gold. Uh, to run chemical tests and stuff. It's not, it's not easy uh, and, and cost prohibitive as a result. Um, but this is not true for Bitcoin. Um, so you can literally be your own bank and you don't have to trust anyone. You can just do it yourself. Um, the other thing is it's weightless. Um, this is unique to Bitcoin um, uh, or, or at least um, unique to Bitcoin and anything that's not cash. I mean, it's very similar to the US dollar that you keep in your bank account. Um, you carry it around in a, a, um, uh, you know, on your phone, you don't even need your phone technically. Um, and and you can carry as much as you want around it. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's weightless. Um, also it's relatedly, it can be transported with you, with you by just memorizing a string of words, a seed phrase. So uh, I think as little as 12 words will get you done Uh, and you can literally carry your entire net worth in your head. Um, this is unlike anything else we've ever had, including dollars, um, simply unique to Bitcoin. Um, uh, I guess other cryptocurrencies have it as well now, but um, we'll talk about why Bitcoin is better than all the other ones. But yes, you, for the first time, Bitcoin was the first time in the world where you could just memorize a string of words and carry your worth around with you. So that's entirely unique to Bitcoin. Um, this is was really important, obviously, in cases of authoritarianism or you want to run from, you know, the Nazis. If you're in the Nazis, you had to like smuggle out your gold and try not to get caught, uh, which might get you killed or you know, at least all the gold stolen. Uh, all that can be solved with Bitcoin. I um, think it can be sent to anyone who has access to the Internet. So it's effectively global uh, global money. And, and certainly as we've added Internet uh, to the accessibility through satellites and we keep furthering that, it's only going to become more and more so accessible and more and more global. Uh, and anyone with access to the Internet can do it. Uh, I think this is also where we should probably note that Bitcoin really doesn't really work out the internet uh, technically you can but uh, and it will survive if the internet went down because it's actually up in satellites but this is really about its usefulness uh, without without the access to the internet it's not particularly useful uh, without uh, I think smartphone ubiquity I don't think it's particularly useful um, I think you really need both of those first before you had Bitcoin and certainly, before it achieves global ubiquity and now we have both those things so uh, you know barring an apocalyptic scenario um where everyone loses access to internet uh, bitcoin should survive and you should be able to re it again so um yeah i mean and, and again this is also about like what are you trying to prevent? like i'm not worried about apocalyptic scenarios i'm much more worried about debasing the currency <laughs> so um but yeah that's that's one. Uh, it can be sent instantaneously with the Lightning Network, which is a set layer protocol, and it can be settled. And by the way, that's final settlement or almost final settlement. Um, and it can be settled on the main Bitcoin blockchain within minutes. Um, previously, international settlement took uh, weeks uh, or days, um, uh, and occasionally had problems. Uh, this is um, so. This is truly unlike Bitcoin. Uh, so unlike unlike any other transfer method we've ever had for global settlement. Um, And it is, Bitcoin is really just the base layer. So uh, technically, you know, a block should take 10 minutes. Um, They say after that process, you have to wait one hour to be 100% sure. This has to do with the fact that uh, also it it can't be double spent. So in order to share doubles, Ben problems imagine that i have a transaction at the same time but two different miners solve the problem at exactly the same time and post it to their uh um to that block then what happens is the protocol waits until one chain gets longer and that settles within an hour, within an hour and then the longest chain becomes the true bitcoin chain the other one gets thrown out any transaction that was processed on the shorter chain, but not on the, uh, the longer chain, gets thrown back into the mempool and processed a little bit later. So that, that's how it prevents double spending. And that's how, um, which is, uh, you know, basically two people claiming the same amount of Bitcoin to, to pay two different, different people. Um, but it's also why it takes up to an hour to settle. Um, but that's really not that long. If you're gonna send, you know, imagine you're going send multiple billion dollars. It's not a big deal to wait an hour <laughs> for a final settlement. And, and usually pay five bucks to do it. <laughs> um, so, and the, the next one is the like, uh, like the internet itself, Bitcoin is fully decentralized. Uh, nobody's in control of the protocol and any changes, uh, like no sole person and any changes of the protocol won't affect the Bitcoin network. At least at least 51% of the network agrees. You probably have a hard fork then if it's only 51 to 49, but uh, it makes it very hard to change Bitcoin. Uh, and, why is that important uh decentralization basically uh increased decentralization means two things increased security and increased fairness so it makes it harder for anyone to attack bitcoin or control bitcoin or government to come in and attack uh, uh you know issue subpoenas against people or force people to do things that change the protocol the other thing is it does is increase fairna- fairness um you know more wealth of bitcoin doesn't lead to more control of bitcoin um and, and and this is very unlike fiat currencies or other cryptocurrencies pretty much no other cryptocurrencies is decentralized at bitcoin uh which is one of the reasons i strongly believe this bitcoin will survive all the other ones and a lot of the other ones act a lot more like companies bitcoin does not we don't even know who the founder is um satoshi Nakamoto. we know that but we don't know who that person is we don't know if that person's still in the community if they're in the community they're not under them under as their own as satoshi Nakamoto, but they're under the real name so that means there's just no way for the government to come after someone with influence or shut down one uh, mode of access. They had to set up on all; they had to like shut down all the different on ramps, and that's very pretty much impossible without a, every every country doing it together. Um, and this was pretty much tested during 2017 during the block size wars. Uh, one group wanted to increase the block size. Uh, uh, the other side did not, mainly because they thought it would decrease uh, secure uh, centralization, forcing people to run. As I said, I can run a full node for a couple hundred bucks. I'd have to I'd have to spend a lot more money to run a full node, um, and there were a lot of reasons not to do that. They thought it would also put control. This was basically driven mainly by people, companies like uh, Coinbase, who wanted to do this, um, and this whole idea was that Bitcoin was for the users, not for companies. Uh, and in the end, it we had a hard fork and bitcoin cash is worth almost nothing now uh it may even be worth nothing bitcoin is worth forty six thousand or something right now as we speak so one was clearly one so bitcoin it's just really been tested really hard on this one and it's gonna be very very hard to change bitcoin in a way that hurts bitcoin um uh then okay we get to some of the most important stuff the protocol sets the exact amount of bitcoin to ever exist which will be 21 million bitcoin and at the same time it uses something called the difficulty adjustment to maintain an average 10 minute time between blocks being created um when this means that we know effectively when the last bitcoin will be mined which would be 2140 and we know that every four years or so the block uh, block reward will kick in and the amount of new bitcoins created or mined will reduce in half um this means we basically have lost this money. It's the first time in history we have that uh, because we have a fixed rate of inflation. Um, even gold does not have this characteristic; it has a fixed amount of gold in the universe, which is why it's used. One of the reasons it uses money historically. But if we, if if the price, say, in gold doubled today, we'd have a bunch of people hit, uh, go out, and decide they may want to be gold miners. And pretty soon, you'd have more gold in the market, and the price would come down, right? You can't do that with Bitcoin. If the price goes up, you can have more miners come out, but within two weeks or so, it's basically when the difficulty adjustment kicks in. Uh, it's based on the number of blocks, not technically the time. Uh, it, it looks at how easy or hard it is to mine Bitcoin, basically how fast it's going and basically reduce, which is a question of how many miners are actually trying to do it. and makes it either harder or easier to keep that two week, uh, sorry, to keep that 10 minute block time on an average of 10 minutes. So. The difficulty adjustment is wildly important, Uh, very probably one of the most important things to Bitcoin and one of the least understood by people who don't understand Bitcoin that well and how important this is because it at least to basically the most certainty we've ever had with money. You can say, oh, you know, Bitcoin is very volatile. How can you be certain? I go, you can also argue that Bitcoin is the most certain money precisely because we know how much exists. We know how much is when the last ones can be created and we can be confident on how quickly it will be released. Uh, new new Bitcoin will be created. This is entirely the most certain money when you look at it from that perspective. Um, and as I talked about it earlier, it, it can't be double spent, so we'll skip that. One. All right, I'm gonna stop for a second. Luke, do you have any questions? Do you have anything to add?
0: No. What's uh, going right now? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. I guess like, I didn't know that about the the length. Um, so it's just like basically like oh, if they both Claim the same block. Well, then someone then was like it. Just like oh, well, then whoever claims more blocks in the future is that kind of how that works. Yeah. Or so it?
1: then, so basically, the next miners would um would would so basically when you mine, you add it to the uh, to a string, right? So once some miners would work on one string and some miners would end up working on the other one, and within about an hour, it checks to see which one's longer, and that becomes the official Bitcoin uh, chain, and the other ones just drop away. Uh, and this was solved just solved about what is truth what is what is bitcoin and there's a really great article called bitcoin is time by uh Gigi where he goes into this it's like a super philosophical piece about how bitcoin operates and it gets into some of the technicalities of how it works in this but more specifically is talking about how bitcoin is the first clock like globally centrally clock like it, because it actually maintains time precisely because of this, and they call he calls it. Some people have argued that blockchain is not the right term; it should be called time chain, precisely because of this uniqueness of keeping that 10 minute block statistically on average, and then resolving it, even when when it has conflict, uh, if, if somehow to blocks are mined and appropriate at the same time. So there was actually a few weeks, I want to say a few months ago when we had a double spend conversation, oh, you know, Bitcoin was double spent. It wasn't double spent. It was just exactly this event happened and it took about an hour for it to resolve. But Bitcoin did in fact resolve it because Bitcoin has been programmed to resolve this exact question. What happens okay. when two things are spent at the same time? So
0: I, I, knew had, I knew it had some problem. I don't know if I ever heard that it, it measures, it like gives it to both of them and it measures it after an hour, that's cool. That's the only thing I was like, huh? Oh, that's interesting.
1: Yeah, I don't quite know how exactly that works, but I do know it does. So I, I can probably, at some point, figure out exactly how that works. But... Do, yeah,
0: maybe I'll listen to that. I, I, do, know how to like. I can understand technical specifics, but I didn't. I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. I should look into that. And then, and then, so what? If you're a, so then, if you're a miner, then you're like, you just you never get your money, or do you get your money and then it
1: disappears? No, no. Yeah, yeah. It disappears. It's, it, it gets just thrown away. So all mm-hmm. that money just
0: like,
1: yeah, that's Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, okay, given all this, you know, Bitcoin is only really used for store of value in most cases, maybe mean of exchange in El Salvador and other places, but certainly not unit you know, of account as a general rule. Uh but it is does have all these properties. So why effectively, why do people such as me find Bitcoin valuable? Effectively, we think it's globally decentralized money that is negatively digital and instantly transferable, and probably most importantly. That no person or government control or debase it. Um, this is hugely important um, as we are seeing with the asset inflation in the United States uh, and across the world. Uh, this is largely, I mean, you know, we can question how much it's delivered by supply issues. And we've had that discussion on this podcast many times, but certainly a part, large part component of it is the fact that they're debasing the currencies. Um, and so for all those things that you want in life that tend to be scarce resource, uh, scant resources like houses, thats um, a good example, um, or scarce services like Harvard education, um, they tend to go up in price um, and they have skyrocketed. Uh, the other one is healthcare. Um, anything that's re- you know, highly important and has some limited scarcity to it uh, is going up in, in value um, or anything that just is very Valuable to the humans, and that you can charge a lot of money. You know, we would definitely see money, like like things like water going up in price if there weren't government controls on that. But other things like, um, uh, uh, other things that are a little, uh, um, you know, uh, like not scarce at all, like a Netflix subscription, may not see any of this inflation. And for the record, we are seeing it a little bit, but that's why we're seeing a big difference. But the point is a lot of the things that people really, really truly value are going up in price. And a of, large part of that is definitely the new value of the currency. So for the first time that can't be done um, and, and by anyone. Um, so that's just very unique to Bitcoin. I think that's why we value it. We trust that all these characteristics, some of which are unique to Bitcoin itself, and certainly, all of these combined into one is entirely new because uh, it basically takes the best aspects of gold, the best aspects of, um, of, of fiat currencies, the best aspects of digital fiat currency, like uh, like the money that you send around in your bank account on your cell phone, uh, combines them all together and then adds components that only Bitcoin can provide. Uh, and it makes this thing that we just think is so much better than all the other money we have. So we're kind of trusting that other people will see this value too and start buying it, buying into the network, and the price will slowly go up, especially as the supply gets shrinks based on that halving that happens every four years or where the new Bitcoins are reduced. We believe the two things will drive the price up. Um, okay, with that being said, there's a bunch of Bitcoin concerns. I listed a bunch. Luke, if you know of anyone's that people have asked, ask us and let's, let's get it done. But uh, first, I'm going to let Luke take, I'm going to let Luke answer some of these because I know he knows some of the answers. So, Luke, I heard Bitcoin is hacked. Is it secure? Uh,
0: Yes, it it is secure. It's funny. I was just listening to a a podcast recently and the guy was interviewing someone from the NSA. And then froze, if you can still hear me. Um, Because the NSA invented something called SHA-256 And it is an encryption method, and that's what secures Bitcoin. So, uh, no one knows how to hack SHA two fifty six. Maybe NSA knows how to hack it, maybe, but they don't have like a key to it because it's just very complicated. But so no, uh, it can't hack. You can't hack Bitcoin. It's very secure. It's secured uh, the most heavily. It's the most heavily. It uses the most heavily secured encryption that we know. So you know, until someone breaks that no bitcoin is is not hackable and it is
1: secure yeah and specifically this is about bitcoin the main chain um lightning network is also very very secure can get hacked, but bitcoin uh, yeah, yeah lightning is very secure but the things that could be hacked are your hardware wallet if you're not careful with it other things that could be hacked or exchanges so there's ways for people to get access to people's bitcoin um uh, uh, there's also the old-fashioned hack of ta- you know taking a crowbar to someone's knees <laughs> um, but to hack Bitcoin itself, the Bitcoin uh, blockchain, uh, it's never been done, highly unlikely. Perhaps it could be done um, once we have quantum computing. But if quantum computing can hack Bitcoin, it can hack pretty much everything else on the internet. And we have a lot more problems than just Bitcoin. So um, that's also worth mentioning, I would add. And and, and importantly, they're already working on crypto security uh, for Bitcoin, including having hashes for uh, public addresses, which prevents them from using a uh, quantum computer to uh, find someone's private keys as long as and by the way that's pretty standard now. If you're on Bitcoin now, and you transfer it on a main chain. That's going to happen. The very old key, like old stuff, that doesn't exist, including uh, Satoshi's one million coins. So if someone breaks shot two fifty six, the first thing they might do is start spending uh, um, Satoshi's coins. Presumably they won't take it all out because they won't want to crash Bitcoin. But I could see those start to move, um, and that might be the first first inkling we have that shot two fifty six has been broken. Um, but again, Bitcoin itself should still be relatively unhackable because they won't have, you still have limitations of how quickly you could you could hack it. And except for when you move coins, if you're under a hash, like uh, 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 when it goes into mempool, it, we don't expose the, uh, the public key now. So it's even more secure than it used to be. So that's important to know. Um, next question. Uh, Bitcoin is volatile. volatile. Doesn't that scare you? I'll say mine in a bit. Luke, you say yours.
0: No, it doesn't scare me. The S&P 500 is also volatile, but in the short term. If you zoom out and you look at it over the long term, the S&P 500 has only gone up, just like Bitcoin. And there's, you know, has only gone. it's only been around for, you know, not as long as the S&P 500. So you can only zoom out so far. But no, volatility is not a bad thing. Um, If you have, you know, if you understand how to invest, which is only invest money you can lose, quote unquote, um, invest for the long haul, don't day trade, time in the market, not... Timing the market, then no, just buy it and hold it. And over time, it'll go up, especially because of what Nate explained earlier with um, the halvings. No, the, the volatility doesn't scare me because even if the price goes down, this is something a lot of people, I think, misunderstands about investing. But if the price goes down, it doesn't matter if you don't sell, like the, you didn't realize those losses. So just wait, and the price will go back up.
1: Yeah. And I'd add to that. There's other things about Bitcoin's volatility. First, you don't get you don't get returns without volatility. So we want the volatility. It's the price that sort of we pay for the outside returns we get. And if you look at Bitcoin from its lowest on each year, uh, it's still gone up. Um, so just wait four years. What I would say it's, if you're putting all your money into it and you're like, it's money, you're going to need it in one month. That's probably, uh, the volatility should scare you. <laughs> um, but if it's money you don't need for uh, a year, I feel pretty comfortable. If it's money you don't need for four years, I'd be very comfortable. Six months is about where I'd be a little bit worried. <laughs> um, so I do try to keep my, uh, fiat. So I have some money in fiat that I have to pay for my rent and stuff like that. I'm really throwing in my Cash flows that I don't expect to use for four years into Bitcoin. Uh, it's long term savings, is the way I think of it. And that's and for certainly for the time being, until until there's enough people that go, basically when it starts being used as a unit of account or more actively as a medium of exchange, we see the volatility come down and then it will be different. But for now, but I say it's long term savings, put them into Bitcoin and then don't worry about it. And that's that's what I do secure it. Uh, I put it and in, moved into Harper Well, We'll get to that in a minute. Um, and then i just don't worry about it so the volatility really doesn't scare me I, in fact i want to see it because if i don't see it i don't think we're gonna get the gains you're gonna get elsewhere so um yeah the volatility doesn't bother me uh but i do understand why it bothers some people the other thing is other thing i will say is if you're older um uh then you all want to you know allocate less of your portfolio likely that's another way to control this uh, the younger you are the longer you can afford to wait for it to go up as, as it were um but if you're you know if you're retired you may need to live on certain stuff. So you might put only 1% of your portfolio in Bitcoin, which I don't think is unreasonable. Um, um, Certainly, there are people that I think once you're already rich, your goal is to stay rich. And at that point, I really do think um, I, I think diversification is very important at that point. I think it's less important when you're trying to get rich. I have very strong opinions about that. But if you're already rich, already wealthy enough, just get some money in Bitcoin, but you might not want to put all of it. And that's not the way to protect your volatility issue. Um, so, yeah, does not does not bother me. Um, okay, if Bitcoin is truly successful, won't the government shut it down? After all, it's going to try to attack fiat currencies.
0: Well, Liquidity. technically, they can't shut it down. I guess it depends on what you mean by shut it down. Can they make it illegal? Like, yeah, sure. But it's, you know, anonymous and... They don't control it. No one controls it. So it's, it'd be very hard for them to shut it down. Very, very hard for them, to sh- unless they're gonna like I don't know, make us all criminals and come and hit us in the new camps, like Nate said yeah. with a wrench. Uh, they can't <laughs> really shut it down. I mean,
1: China. Yeah, yeah, I will tell you. Out, but. Yeah, I'll tell you. I think the government, a one government cannot shut it down. The way you could whole shut all oh, Bitcoin down would be like if all governments got together and shut it down. But as we know. We already have different attitudes towards that. El Salvador just legalized, made it legal tender. China banned the miners. So so, so it seems like it's unlikely you're going to have that coordinated effort, right? If you don't yeah, have that coordinated... It's a times
0: easier to store your Bitcoin overseas than store money overseas. So yeah. it'd be really hard to shut yeah. it down.
1: And the other thing is I think we should look at it as the United States... But this is probably more specifically the United States often, this question. So let's, let's address that a little bit. I think it's unlikely they're actually going to shut down. I think they're going to regulate the exchanges more, um, you know, make sure that people are paying their taxes, which is all fine, good. Um, um, but as far as actually like making it legal if you own it it's like a hundred, like a hundred million people in the world own Bitcoin. Many of those are in the United States. We have senators who own them. We have congressmen who owns it. Uh, I just don't think. And we have we have other state level actions like Texas and Miami who are uh, who are making it very. Um, uh, who are trying to attract Bitcoin. Right. So I just don't see a complete crackdown on it like that. I would expect some regulation around um, uh, exchanges, but a complete crackdown on Bitcoin. I, I did, First of all, I don't think it would be successful if they did it, and I don't think it's likely to happen in the United States. Uh, and I think every year it goes by, makes it harder and harder to do it. Uh, and, and at some point, I think they will have to embrace Bitcoin. I think that's inevitable too. Um, and field, i think like, it may I be think. even possible with you know if it hits 10 trillion dollars and crashes to 5 trillion dollars they may be yeah. stuck bailing bitcoin out what that means is they'll put more fiat units into it okay. and actually support yeah. it and the thing is because at that point it will have systemic issues to other to other um other asset classes and and at some point they're pumping Bitcoin in to make it alive. And then eventually we all switch over to Bitcoin and then they can never control it again. Yeah, and they can never yeah. bail it out. So it's a whole, like, I think that's actually quite possible too. So, but the odds of them actually shutting it, like trying it down, I don't, I don't think it's possible. And even if they tried like, to make it like outlawed and stuff, I just don't think it's going to happen. So I, I I'm so I'm not really, you know, it's just something worth keeping an eye on. Yes. So I think it's likely no. Uh, so as of right now, as of uh, September 8th, 2021, I'm not worried about it um next question uh do you own any other cryptocurrencies alt calls altcoins, coins including ethereum and if not why not first of all i do not own any uh i don't own any uh i have my own reasons uh but luke i think you own a little bit so why don't you say your bit first
0: yeah i own quite a few other or i guess i own quite a few alt coins if you will i do own um ethereum and some others um not near as much as bitcoin but uh yeah i do own a lot of them um what,
1: what what percentage is bitcoin versus the other stuff do you think
0: it's like 90 percent okay and i think that's five percent bitcoin and then whatever five to ten percent and then i think what well, so I don't, I don't know the exact number but it's like 90 percent bitcoin maybe five percent ethereum and then five percent um scattered through other
1: So even if you had someone who you said wanted to do altcoins, you would probably tell them to mostly load up on Bitcoin. Is that correct?
0: I would say, yeah. Well, yeah. It's like, it really depends on like what they're asking. A lot of people who are into altcoins are chasing scams and they're chasing that quick money and they're getting pumped and dumped over and over again. And if that's like what you're trying to do, like don't do that. Just don't do that. (laughs) That's not going to work. Buy Bitcoin. And then if you want to like, Kind of like kind of what I've done. My strategy was building a, uh, you know, kind of like a portfolio of cryptocurrencies, like, you know, people do with commodities and equities. You kind of build a portfolio as one goes up, the others go down. And then as the other one goes up, this one goes down. And they kind of like build like a bundle of equities with commodities and things of that nature. I did that with cryptocurrencies. Um, through, through a lot of research, but most people are trying to buy altcoins to get rich quick. If you're just just putting your money in Bitcoin, wait five to 10 years, or otherwise you're going to get Logan Paul road pulling you.
1: Like. Yeah. And I think that, I think that goes and leads into why I don't do it. First of all, I think Bitcoin is going to outperform all of them in the long run. Um, um, I think the other ones only add a little bit of attributes that are better than Bitcoin and they sacrifice decentralization to get it, which I think is the most important Um I, don't, I think the other ones can be changed a lot. We've seen it with Ethereum. They've changed their monetary policy a lot. Uh, Bitcoin's never been changed. I think the monetary policy matters more than anything else. And certainly from a long-term perspective, that's all I really care about. Um, Ethereum, I think it's the best likelihood... Uh, of any of the other cryptocurrencies to be successful but successful may be a relative term like it may success succeed for 30 years but i think bitcoin could be potentially around here for 500 years like that's like sort of the difference uh bitcoin i think is really built for uh you know as long as it doesn't get destroyed by some sort of thing like quantum computing should last forever And, and and i'm not sure any of these other ones are built that way in part because you know their founders sticked around stuck around and it was a little bit more like a company whereas uh you know as we said bitcoin's founder disappeared for whatever reason uh and ceded control over the community as a whole i think that's really important uh i think we did we did a really long podcast on this i will add it to the show notes if you really want to jump into this question of why and why not listen to that one i will tell you it's definitely not safe for work because there are a lot of cursing right in the beginning especially because i was drinking uh we, we jumped in i think two or three beers drink uh deep when we were uh when we were doing it because we were. We were texting about it and we decided to jump on and do it. But I'll recommend that one if you really, um, that episode, if this question is, you want more thoughts on it uh, and our different attitudes towards it. But fundamentally, your long-term stuff should be in Bitcoin anyway. And I think it's easy to buy Bitcoin and wait 10 years and not worry about the rest. Um, And I think it saves a lot of your um, issues. Uh, Now, the next question is the environmental impact. Uh, We actually covered that also on a different podcast. But I'll say um, I'll say right off the bat that uh, it, I do not think the environmental impact is bad as people say. There's a lot of reasons for that, in part because it actually uses stranded energy, so energy that is like would otherwise just go to waste. Um, sometimes, it, in fact, recaptures energy at the source of oil um, uh, oil drilling. So if If you're drilling an oil, you have to release methane gas and you can either flare it, which is really bad for the environment, or you can use it for something energy on the spot. And so now they have decentralized Bitcoin units that are sitting there and mining Bitcoin and actually using up that energy. And that's much more environmentally friendly than actually flaring it. So in some ways, it's actually not good for the um, environment. We're already seeing different changes um, within how um, how people allocate uh decide whether or not to have a solar or a wind farm because they can now uh mine bitcoin when when usage is uh low during the day uh and then turn them off at night when they need to run um everyone they need all the energy and actually make money and that can actually change whether or not they're running these uh environmentally more friendly um uh use uh, uh, energy generation so i think it's a lot less bad than people think also, you know, the U.S. military uses, um, I think, three times as much energy. There's the cruise ship energy uh, uh, industry uses twice as much energy, and none of these people go out for them. So And none of them are actually helping the world in the way that Bitcoin really is helping for people who live in regimes and places where they're either in currency, uh, they're into capital controls or currencies or hyperinflating, you know, by... Um, Double digits or triple digits. Um, so, I think it's one hell of a lot net good, better than other things, and a, than a lot of other things that are using far more energy. And in some ways, it's actually helping the environment. So that's all I'll say. But I'll post a link to the podcast. Luke, do you want to add anything to that?
0: Uh, the Well, yeah. The only thing I, the environmental impact is more a philosophy question, but it's not like Bitcoin isn't dirty the way we generate energy is dirty so instead of going after bitcoin why don't you just focus on the way we generate energy in general for everything like that's yeah, the problem
1: yeah and i've actually i think we've mentioned that in that podcast as well and yeah. i'm like if, if our issue is um burning fossil fuels then we should have a fossil fuels carbon tax or something like that whatever um, big
0: Bitcoin's being penny wise pound foolish like yeah. our entire world uses a lot of energy and global warming is a real issue and it's bad so fix that don't worry about bitcoin <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah. And as, if you do it in an even way, you'll, um, you know, Bitcoin will have to adjust uh, just like everything else. And that's not yeah. a bad thing. And mm-hmm. Bitcoin is able to do that. Um, you know, it'll either prove its usefulness as a environmental reduction, uh, uh, yeah, like like a carbon reducer, mm-hmm. or or it'll pay more money in a carbon tax if you want to do a carbon tax or something like that. Like that's how it would work. And I, that's why I think it should be handled. I'm not sure why we don't do it that way. But anyway, that's what I would say about that. I know I'll post a link to that. We have a longer, uh, it's middle of a, podcast we discussed other things we had a long long conversation about that and i really walked through a lot more citations and stuff like that uh but it it is largely not a big deal um or certainly not the biggest deal that everyone is making it out to be um okay technical questions uh let's let's get into this a lot of people have a lot of technical questions around bitcoin they're like okay great you we went through the monetary implications it's money we went through some of the some of the concerns around it but what like okay, what is a wallet address and what are private keys in layman's terms? And I think the way they think that is a, is, is it's, it's a combination of like an email and a password. Um, but originally they are generated from a one-way logarithm. Oh, specifically the email portion of it, the public wallet, like the public address, that part is generated through a one-way logarithm. You create a private key and that spits out the public address by running it through the uh, for the logarithm and then if you have that public address you can't necessarily you can't go back it's like computationally impossible without quantum computing to go back to the private key and this is again the sha 256 this is 256 bit private key how do you develop one well you can do it anyway if you want to sit there and it's basically 250 bits means it's ones or zeros you could sit there and flip a coin and develop it and then you have your own private key and you can run into the logarithm and generate it public address you can actually do this <laughs> i would not recommend doing it um but you absolutely can and it's just math uh, so as a practical matter what you're probably going to do is get a hardware wallet and it's going to help you set this up by running you through um uh, some options for uh for the uh, BIP39 standard, and we'll get that in a second, but fundamentally that's what it is. Um, And how are private keys stored? We stole them again on our hardware wallet. Um, A hardware wallet doesn't connect to the internet uh, and it allows you to sign the transactions, confirm that you have it, and then it sends to another public address, whichever one you put in. Um, And there are some, uh, I personally use a ledger. Um, There are other options, the Trezor, the cold card, uh, I've heard good things about Blockchain Jade. Um, uh, we got some options. I'll put some. I'll post a link, most likely, to my um, Bitcoin Starter Grade, where I have links to a lot of these things. Um, and I would highly, you know, any of the ones I list, I'm uncomfortable with. Uh, I'm comfortable with personally. I've heard good things, or enough from the community that I feel safe advertising. I only own a cold card. I haven't set it up yet, um, but I right now use the ledger um before i move on anything i need anything luke wants to add or ask um
0: well i mean wallet addresses and, and, and keys are they're pretty simple you might want to watch a few youtube videos on it but um the number one thing just make sure if you're using a wallet address no matter what you're doing check it five times yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah. Right, because if you send something to the wrong address, it's either gone to someone else's address or the address doesn't exist and it's gone. There's no like bounce back with an email. Like, so, um,
1: so now, so I will tell you that if most of the um hardware wallet um developers have added a function where basically it checks the blockchain and confirms that this address actually exists before it sends anything and it will bounce back otherwise and the the mempool and won't go out but this is a relatively new it's not guaranteed to be added to every um miner and every and every rubber wallet so you do not want to rely on it but it's certainly a lot better than before when it was no one checked um so the likelihood of this happening is a lot less but i would definitely tell you guys that is um to double check i agree with that uh, just in case you end up with a hardware wallet or, situa- or a miner who's not doing implementing those tools so because um, you don't want it to send it off into nothing. Nothing real. That's bad. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, if you do, it's a donation to uh, all the rest of the suit on Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> so. um, all right. Um, so what happens if you lose your hardware wallet or forget your pa- uh, password? Um, or maybe, you know, the hardware wallet dies in a fire. Um, so there's uh, a, almost all hardware wallets and certainly all the ones I listed include use the BIP39 BIP standard. This is a seed phrase. This is again, and generate another one way, a logarithm. Uh, it uses 2048 words representing different numbers that are put into a logarithm that generates about a billion private keys and the corresponding public addresses. The 256 bit numbers we talked about and the corresponding public addresses. Um, um and most hard words walls will walk you through it and by the way those words can be re- reused so you could use the same one over again um but this is using more cryptography to generate more more things and the benefit of this is now you all need to do, all you need to do is memorize the th- seed phrase and you got yourself protected most people as a practical matter will not memorize your seed phrase i would not recommend sh- i wouldn't even recommend um, writing it down on a piece of paper. What you want to do is there are a bunch of different um, uh, seed phrase storage tools. Uh, the Cold Tea is one I have right here. It's you know it's a recovery seed backup. You search for Amazon, you'll find them. A lot of them are steel or, or um, are titanium, and you engrave them or use something to write them. And by the way, each one of those four words have are in, in are unique in the English English language, where they only have where well, the first four words. Uh, four letters are different so that you only have to record the first four 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 letters uh of those 20 uh at least 24 uh words so you'll take four first four letters and you write that down on these little storage device you're going to throw that storage device and something that will survive a fire or other things i tend to recommend um this is where a classic bank is useful and you put in the security deposit box um in fact uh so, so that, that's that's what i would recommend security deposit box throw it in there after you do this and then you and um only send money after you've recorded this view phrase uh so you can recover it if you need to But that's how you're gonna recover it um and if if you and then the thing is all you have to go you can get any hardware wallet that uses the bit 39 standard you don't have to get the same one so assume the company goes out of business find another one they run the bit 39 standard you're good to go um, you can do it, um, and you can re- recover it. Uh, don't enter the seed phrase anywhere on the internet. Please don't. Don't save it on the email. Don't. No. 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 Anywhere it could be hacked. If somebody can get it, they can get it. They can grab their own hardware Wallet, run it through, grab all your money. So this is this is entirely offline. Uh, please don't enter it on the internet, or flash it, or anything like that. Anything else to add? It there, Luke? I don't know if you've done that.
0: No, be. I, uh... I don't know. I don't think
1: most people are going to do that, but you should probably do it. <laughs> so Luke Why is a big uh, proponent of holding an exchange. The problem with holding an exchange and I'm going to I've warned him before is that if he loses access to the exchange if it's his reason the exchange gets hacked, it's almost never covered by insurance. Uh, now if the whole exchange gets hacked, the insurance might cover. It. And again, they're going to pay it out in fiat dollars, so they're not going to pay it out in Bitcoin. So it may be it may even be fiat dollars at the price they lost it at, which may take Five years to resolve so i'm not yeah. sure i want to trust that so there's the, those are the risk um but as a practical matter it is harder uh as in but it's actually less hard than people think very much less hard by my 73 my, my year old mother figured out how to do it i mean a little help Bro, me, people
0: but, use one two three four five six seven for their passwords like so,
1: yeah yeah this is, this is
0: way hard for a lot of people they're like what yeah yeah
1: Yeah, it. i mean i'll t- but i'll tell you my 73 year old grandmother uh sorry mother uh, with my help to help you know figured it out how to do this so it's not an age
0: thing it's just a lazy thing
1: uh yeah i'll agree with that uh that, that is absolutely true uh but i would tell you and i think the real answer is how much money do you have if you have one thousand dollars maybe an exchange is not really a big deal right but you start to get i mean for me it's a substantial part of my net worth that's in, in bitcoin um so as it gets larger you definitely need to take care and in fact i wouldn't even say it's the first step the first step is to get on an exchange buy some you know as it gets larger get your get your hardware well and take and take pains to secure it like uh it's certainly not the first step but it should be a big one once you have a if you have a significant portion either in dollar terms or in um or in net worth terms i would i would take pains to secure it um okay all right uh so another question is i think what is a full node and how is it different from money rick because i get this a lot so um Mine, so my, I have a full node. I don't have a mining rig. They're different things. Uh, obviously, a mining rig contains the full ledger copy as well. I believe, I think it does. But it's, it's the one that's generating. Uh, it's doing all the transactions. It processes the new transactions. If it's, it's so, it's, first of all, it's trying to solve a cryptographic puzzle, and it's basically like asking for a prime number or something like that. And then you have to guess until you find it. Once you find it, you solve the you solve the block. You run your transactions through that block. They get paid in the Reward for it, which is the new Bitcoin. It's called the block, uh, the block reward um, or block subsidy. Um, and they also get paid all the fees in it. And that's what they get paid for having solved the critical parcel and processing those transactions. And as a result, all of these guys together are securing the network. So they also get paid effectively for securing the network. Um, that's what a mining rig does. It's way different than a a uh, Bitcoin blockchain uh, uh, node. So what we do is we verify those transactions. So when the mining rig sends out it, we confirm it because these, these these basically these puzzles, if you have the answer, it's it's like jumping to the back of a textbook on back when you're doing your math problems. It's very easy to do it. You confirm it, you run it through, you're like, oh yeah, that's it. And so we confirm that it's right. We add it to the blockchain and now we have our own copy of the blockchain. And the benefit of this is I can run my hardware wallet through it, it's because more security, again not the first thing to do this isn't the first thing to do after you get a hardware wallet um it would be like a, you get a hardware wallet first and then you get this later and you hook your hardware wallet into it and now i can guarantee that when people are sending me transactions that i actually have uh that it's actually being processed and that people basically would use like a ledger or something you're trusting their node that their data is accurate for the blockchain now i can trust my own node i can look at it the other benefits of it that um if you're gonna do this, I highly recommend Umbral as a um it's a very easy open source community. It also adds a Lightning node on top of it, which is more useful for a medium of exchange transactions, uh, as we talked about. And it's where i think a lot of um Bitcoin exchanges are gonna be using Lightning as well. And it'll offer both a Lightning uh wallet and a um and a Bitcoin um uh like main chain wallet as well too so it'll it'll provide both of those but effectively i can go in there and look at any transactions the whole history of uh a blockchain takes a few days to sync you do run it but um so it's a little bit different uh but it's different than a mine rig it's a lot cheaper and it's used to verify transactions um where do i buy bitcoin um okay so the most popular one is coinbase i'm not a big fan of it higher fees general rule uh less if you're doing coinbase pro but if you're doing coinbase the normal one it's very high fees uh those fees subsidize all these other what we call shit coins or alt coins <laughs> it's gonna be nice uh, and i am not a fan of it result uh, swan bitcoin is fantastic if you're gonna dollar cost average especially if you want a daily dollar cost average um uh that's very low fees um, i think if you get over 47 dollars a week or so it's one 099 percent so slightly less than one percent another great option now is strike um that's even less fees like 03 percent fees uh, but it has a limitation of how much you can put in a per week now um and it's got a wait list so it so uh, swan may be a better option for the time being uh, but within a year i think strike might be the best um you can also do it on a cash app cheaper than coinbase i believe very easy if you already have it uh that's a good spot um other option i've liked um, river financial often they come with a free i think a hundred thousand dollars worth of buys you can do in the first thing and no transaction fees so like i did like i don't when you come into a lot of money you can do it quick really good place if they can give you that offer um so yeah that's another option um and then um let's see uh, do I, anywhere else i'm trying to think uh oh kraken is another option very similar exchange to coinbase i think better fees though. So um, those are other options. Two I would not do is, for one, I would certainly not do is Robinhood. You can't take your Bitcoin out of that. The other one I probably wouldn't do is PayPal. For now, you can't take your Bitcoin out of it, I believe. At some point, they're going to try to fix that, I believe. But until you can take it custody of your own Bitcoin, I do not believe you should have um, my Bitcoin in that spot. Because at some point, the other benefit of moving it onto your own hardware wallet is you guarantee that you actually have it you guarantee that what you have is not just an account balance that actually doesn't represent real Bitcoin. So you always want to be able to custody your own Bitcoin uh, as an option. At some point you probably will do that if you get enough of it. So, um, so don't do Robinhood and don't do PayPal at least for now. Um, the other options are up to you, which ones you prefer, lots of ones. Other than outside of, of uh, uh, outside of the United States, I'm not entirely sure. So, but I would, uh, I bet you they're probably be somewhere. They're right? even better,
0: like Kraken and Binance and all that stuff are even better outside the United States. So gotcha. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um w- what about retirement accounts? You want Bitcoin in retirement? Okay, so one option is to get a self- if you have a self-directed like Roth IRA or you can self-direct your own um, stuff, then uh, you, you know, and hold crypto assets, you can hold it directly. Uh that's a little harder. Uh, a lot of people are probably gonna do it um also if you have a 401k with your company you certainly can't do it um so there are a few other options depending on the rules uh of wherever you have your um your retirement account so one option is if you can buy it, Grayscale bitcoin trust so this is a company that holds bitcoin on your behalf uh the problem is they charge a two percent fee which means they're selling bitcoin uh to, uh to pay that off you'll still make more money than that And i think at the time uh, I, I own some of my retirement account um, Uh, The symbol is GBTC, by the way, they also have other um, trusts, some that are more diversified. If you really want uh, diversification to the altcoins, most of them are still heavily in Bitcoin, I believe, Um, unless you pick one. I think it may be like Ethereum only. Um, And... I could see why people would do that again i don't know anything about bitcoin long term so in a retirement account i certainly wouldn't recommend it but it does exist if that's what you're looking for another option is michael strategy michael strategy is a, com- a publicly traded company that is very heavily Im- invested in bitcoin and basically has committed to putting all their cash flows and future cash flows into bitcoin as a result it trades very closely with bitcoin um, at this point it's a premium I believe to bitcoin uh to how much bitcoin you're gonna have but like as far as getting the gains out of it for a long time you, they'll probably track each other pretty pretty heavily uh, the symbol for that is mstr now i'm gonna give you one other option this is a mutual fund this is this is how i got into my 401k and it's called the internet fund it's www.fx again, high fee. The real reason, though, is they have one third of, like, almost one third of their fund, I believe, is in Grayscale, Bitcoin Crust. So, effectively, if you put it in there, you get access to a bunch of companies that are on the internet, like PayPal and other things. Google, I think, is in there and stuff like that. But you also, like, one third of it is in Grayscale. Um, it's pretty heavily invested in Grayscale. That's how I got a lot of my 401k, to have at least some exposure to Bitcoin. And that is one option uh if you can get get that and the way i had to do that for my company was go through the brokerage link account to set that up through fidelity uh which allowed me to take some of my money out of my 401k that was like with the company and, and move it into a separate fidelity account and then i could buy a mutual fund uh and then i still got all the tax advantage stuff because it's still part of my 401k um so that's one option it's called the internet fund and again the symbol is wwwfx. uh so that's one other option anything else to add Luke, no, that'll you know that better than I do. Okay, any anything uh, anything else you want to add about Bitcoin? Because I, I think we're coming. That's a lot right.
0: for a beginner. I think. Uh, I, think I think we covered. I, I think we got yeah, everything right. It,
1: yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have links to uh, one. I have a favorite resources on my blog. I will have that. I'll update it because uh, a lot of so all, a lot of my thinking on this is not mine and should be really understood that other people have done it. Um, I really love um, Bitcoin. Is not what you think of it is uh by on bitcoin audible by Guy swan it's one of his own things bitcoin audible also reads a lot of the best bitcoin uh write-ups uh, or you can read them so like like again we talked about bitcoin's time you can read it or you can hear have it read to you by guy swan that's another option um and i i really like that podcast a lot um i also have like other ones bitcoin fundamentals are like a lot a lot of a lot of, a lot of good stuff out there um and i would not stop here uh I just think i think this is this is really designed if you haven't really heard anything and you got mm-hmm. some FAQs. so and i really do want to credit all those other people there you know michael saylor has been thinking a lot preston pish has, has impacted my thinking a lot um so a, a lot of these guests on these other podcasts and, and the write-up and gg just was writing fantastic things as i said so um so yeah i would definitely check all that stuff out if you want to oh the other thing is uh one other thing I wanted to mention: a bullet, the bullish case for Bitcoin. It's a fantastic book as a primer. It originally started as an article, uh, but now it's a book that'll go through some of the risk as well as uh, the way to think about Bitcoin. And I think we did a lot of it here, but certainly impacted my thinking a lot as well. It's a pretty small, short book too, so that's one other ones I would recommend.
0: Yeah, sounds good. That's a good one. All right. Thanks, everybody. We will. See you next time.